Welcome, Pudding People, to another episode of Everybody Loves Pudding. I am your host, Ken Seymour, with your co-host, Richard Geiger. Yes, sir. Today we have a wonderful guest with us who is known for many things over the years. He has had his hand in a variety of fantasy gaming projects and is uh, known to uh, many people over over the world. His name is Rich Thomas. He is currently one of the one of the major forces behind Onyx Path Publishing. Thank you for coming to uh, to our show today. Hey guys, thank you. So um, I wanted to kind of tell you, the, the two of us, and we, we spoke very briefly about this before we started, that we're coming uh, from slightly different, uh, different avenues of uh, history and behavior. We've got Richard, who has gaming experience on the video game side, but has not been uh, inundated or, uh, or uh, I should say initiated. I've, I've been inundated, <laughs> but initiated into the uh, uh, role-playing game or board games or anything like that. I have talked to him at length about why Vampire is my favorite game of all time. Mm-hmm. But uh, And then you've got me on the other side that owns over 300 White Wolf books. <laughs> Big disparity, right? Yeah, the slight, slight disparity. So, you know, I've got the bookcase actually behind us. We yes. will, we will. So he's going to take care of questions that are probably going to be for people on our, uh, that listen to our show that have no idea what we're talking about here, and I'll, I'll take care of the other stuff. But yeah. what I really love to start with is, you know, um, you've, had your, you've had your hand in a handful of games, but I kind of wanted to know where you came from originally. You're, you're a trained artist. What, what, how did you get started? What is, uh, what's your beginnings? Well, I was, uh, I grew up in uh, Philadelphia, and uh, when I was in Philly, um, heading, into, heading into high school, I went to this, uh, this high school, and uh, they did a, one of those open houses, because they're, they were the, the original magnet school, Central High School in Philadelphia. They were the, the very first school that like, kind of drew from all the kids um, who had a certain grade point average in Philly, like, just like, you know, hundreds of years ago, or maybe a hundred years ago. <laughs> and uh, um, went to this open house to see if this was the place that, that I wanted to, to go to high school. And two things absolutely set the course for the rest of my life. It's, it's really bizarrely that it comes down to this moment. Uh, went in there and saw their art department for the student artists, the art majors, and was blown away by this amazing creativity that was, was there and they all had their own cubicles and it was just very cool and as somebody who had been got, got a bit of you know praise for the art that he'd done in previous uh, you know schools and stuff this was like wow this could be this is so, so amazing this is like the sort of thing that you could then go and you could go be a comic book artist or you could be an illustrator or whatever so and we went upstairs and we looked at all the clubs and I walked in this one room and there was a bunch of guys, high school kids, demonstrating how they were playing these board games. And they were war board games, Avalon Hill, um, wooden ships and Iron Man, stuff like that. So, you know, we were talking, you know, 1980, no, I'm sorry, 1976-ish. Wow. And I, had lo- I, I was interested in these sorts of games, but I never had an opportunity to play them. No one in my neighborhood played this sort of stuff. It was hard enough to get a game of Risk going. <laughs> <laughs> and here we were, you know, um, 
I said when Alexander uh, pivoted around and, and refused the flank uh, with his with his phalanx. And, Ooh, these guys are speaking stuff I've only read. You know? <laughs> this is so cool. And so that was that was kind of the thing because I, when I finally joined this club, it was called the Strategy and Tactics Society. When I finally joined it, I walked in. I was expecting to play all these board games, and there's a bunch of guys I knew. And I said, "Come on, sit at this table. We got a new game, and we're, we played a couple games of this now. So you're, you're, you'll bring in a new character. It'll be really cool." I'm like, "Well, what is it?" Uh, where's the board? He's like, nah, well, the, the dungeon master pull out the, the, the graph paper that we use, and that's what, that's our board. We make our own board as we go along. What are you talking about? <laughs> it's like, it's like we're going we're gonna to tell a story, but we're going to be doing this thing, and we have rules for it, and you could be, uh, you know, you, you know Lord of the Rings? <laughs> <laughs> that's and always the thing. It, it, was, it was D&D. It was, uh, we were playing with the first, the original three booklets, Wow. Uh, and, and the little Greyhawk booklet had just come out, so we were very excited. We were waiting for Blackmore to come out, which would allow our one character to finally have his druid rules. And uh, <laughs> it, it was very much, but that that thing, I just, I became hooked. I became completely, you know, it, in the space of, you know, four months, I was, I was DMing myself. And uh, from that point on, there was always this kind of art and gaming and art and gaming back and forth that was going on in my life and uh, went to art school and did the usual thing you do in art school and, um, and then I actually went I extended that for a couple of years to get my master's so I'd be able to uh, teach in college and that sort of stuff and during that time I was still playing D&D and other role playing games you know weekly um, and did my uh, my master's dissertation was actually a comic book based on some of our, our D&D adventures that I'd run. Uh, and if you think it's, you know, now, today, when everybody knows uh, all about Lord of the Rings and, and the Marvel comics and stuff, pitching your master's thesis is going to be a graphic novel based on a D&D adventure <laughs> you ran for your... Uh, I had blank looks. People were just looking at me hmm. like, my advisor pulled me inside, and he's like, uh, "Rich, isn't this that game where the kids in Texas went into the steam tunnels and got killed?" <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that's just a, a rumor, and some teenagers get really obsessed. And I happen to know my, my advisor's daughter was an insane Duran Duran fan. Like, what, she actually mailed herself to their hotel room in a box. Wow, dedication right there. And I said, "Hey, you know." Some teenagers, they, they just go overboard. You know what that's like, right? <laughs> and he's like, I get you. I get you. Okay. Okay. So this, that's not what this is. This is going to it's gonna bring in my interest in, in graphic uh, storytelling. And, uh, and, you know, I already know the story because I kind of created it already because these people ran through it. So convinced them and, and, and was able to do that. And I was still uh, keeping in touch, you know, with, with the... With, buying Dragon Magazine and stuff like that, and, and there was an ad in the back of Dragon Magazine. I'd submitted to get on the cover of Dragon, or even just to get any work from Dragon. I'd been shot down like three times. Oh, that would have been awesome. Sons of bitches. <laughs> <laughs> and looking back on it, I guess they were probably right, but uh, you know, at the time, it was, it was frustrating. But there was this ad for another magazine, and they needed art. Um, it was obviously a smaller gig and stuff like that, but... 
it was still like, hey, this, this, this could be cool. And I contacted uh, the guy who sent the thing, and I, I, I just said, you know, these, those days I, I had some Xeroxes of some of the, the art I'd been doing that was more fantasy-based, and I sent that with it, and uh, I did up this little, just this little piece of art, just like sort of a thing of a white wolf, because that was the name of the magazine, um, on top of a battered dragon that he had clearly beaten up, and he just sent that along as kind of a uh, <laughs> thing. And I got this message back from Stuart Wick, who was uh, was, was putting this magazine out. He had, he, I think he'd gotten, I say he'd gotten three issues, four issues out already, plus his, his original uh, magazine. And um, he said to me, hey, uh, I really, really like that piece. Can I use that? I'll buy from you right away. Like, Whoa, my first sales in fantasy market. Nice. <laughs> and, you know, um, and he's like, yeah, I can also use this, this, this. And so I'm like, okay, well, what are you going to pay? Like, this much, but look, I can't pay you right away because we've got to get these things sold. And I was like, well, you know, that's okay. That's okay. And the more we talked, the more I really, really, you know, uh, liked this guy. Um, and I guess about, you know, I've been doing art for him for you know, three months maybe. And he said, look, do you know how to do any art direction? Because I've been doing it and I can't keep doing it. He was, he was still in college. Oh. And I said, yeah, I could do that for you. You want to add a little thing onto each issue? Yeah, I'll pay you so much you know, per issue. And of course, I can't pay right away. <laughs> <laughs> I understand. I understand. You know. And uh, so I started art directing the magazine. And, um, and, and in the course of the, the next year or so, uh, Stuart and I, uh, we, we just we just established this amazing relationship. He was what he basically said. I don't know what the visual. I know what I want for the magazine, but I don't know art. You get if it look if it's what I want for the magazine. If it's, it's right for the editorial content, we'll go with it. Which is that's a lot of trust. Yeah, that's and and and, and, and you know, <laughs> and then I go, hey, Stu, how about the you know the payment thing? Do we never, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Any day now. Um, yeah. And the thing was, he was good as his word. Eventually, we, we actually did get it all paid up. Um, and there were some trials and tribulations along the way um, because, you know, any, anything that's happening. But uh, ultimately, um, he said, uh, you know, we love to, we're, this thing's starting to take off for us. We're just starting to get some games going. And he, uh, he was getting this really good relationship with these guys from, um, from Minnesota. Uh, called Lion Rampant. They had a game called Ars Magica, and that was actually selling. That was actually like, ooh, they got they they they're, they're selling. So they did all kinds of articles for the magazine, and we did some stuff for them. And I started doing logos and cover designs for them, and it became you know kind of a everybody's working together gig. And they moved down to Georgia, where Stewart was, with the whole group of them, um, by and large. And during that time period. Um, they started working on this uh, this new kind of game, and it was yeah, it had some it had some 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 influence from the from Ars Magica, but it was uh, it was different because it was modern and it was a, it was you were playing a vampire. And like uh, wow, because you know because mm-hmm. you know, D and D, a vampire <laughs> drains levels, and you know he's like no no this is, this is back to your blood and the whole okay, and people are going to play that. Yeah yeah, it's it's amazing. People really get into it. I'm like okay. Um, can you come down and run, you know, the art for us, do the art direction for us for this? I'm like, I got a, 
job, like in the real world. <laughs> and I was working at a television studio, a station. And uh, oh, this is when you're doing the the TV graphics thing. Yeah, the TV graphics. You heard that story, okay? Well, no, <laughs> I don't know how many of my stories are out there. I well, um, I we always try and research just a little bit going gotcha. in, so we look for interviews that have been previously done and try and keep things yep. as fresh as possible. I got you. Okay, so well, basically, what happened was is that. Um, like I said, I put them off. I said, look, I need this much because I'm, I'm not just a guy out of college who can put all this stuff in a Volkswagen and drive down. You know, I mean, it's, I've got a house. I've got a little girl. I've got two dogs. And I've got you know, a lot of, of work because I was working multiple jobs like you do. You know, some freelance. Mm-hmm. Some, some I, was, I was teaching and things like that. So it was, uh, I think it was, you know, I want to say it was November or early December of 90... 90, would have been 90, no, would have been 90. <laughs> they all just went together, you know. Basically, it was, no, it was, I, I think it was after the Gen Con of 91. Yeah, because Vampire released in 91, basically at Gen Con. And boom, things went nuts. Things just, just they couldn't keep the books in stock. And so Stuart gives me this call. And he's like, "Rich, everything you ask for, we can we can do it. Come, <laughs> come on down. I need you down here." And so I, I you know, was down there. I guess, uh, I guess in, in May I moved from Philly to to Atlanta and uh, went down there with my daughter and my girlfriend and my two dogs and uh, metric ton of books and uh, as it should be. Yeah, and got and, uh, and and dove right into it, and I think I was making decisions about the uh, the new game, uh, Werewolf the Apocalypse, um, even as I was, you know, getting ready to move down. So, it was so you know, this is wild time. This is maybe just me. I, I I did not realize it. So you not only did work with um, with the White Wolf, that did, is, then you simultaneously did artwork for Magic as well. Uh, time, time, the timing on that, I'm always a little, I'm always wondering where I first got the phone call. Uh, because what, you know, like what happens in these sorts of things, and, and gaming, role-playing, and, and, and just, you know, basic tabletop gaming, is a really, you know, weirdly incestuous uh, business. Everybody pretty much either knows or knows of, or works with somebody who knows somebody uh, who knows you. So... What had happened was um, Lisa Stevens left uh, White Wolf, moved up to Seattle to work with these these guys who were starting this game company called Wizards of the Coast, and I stayed in touch. And I was still doing st- I was still doing like art and stuff because she and I were good friends. Um, oddly enough, we were born at almost the exact same minute mm-hmm. on different sides of different sides of the uh, country. And um, so I was watching all this stuff, and, and I got this call originally from Lisa, and she said, you know, we've got this new game. It's it's very different. It's a card game to begin with, but we want to put art on all the cards. We want, you know, it's like, and I, I, I was always, I had studied, you know, the, how playing card art had, had evolved through the years and tarot card art and stuff like that. So art on a card game was like, yeah, that's not, I'd really like to work on that. And she explained it to me, and I went, I don't get this at all. 
Um, <laughs> he's like, oh, yeah, it's like collectible, like baseball cards are collectible. I'm like, who's going to want an incomplete game when they buy it? I don't. So, you know, my ability to predict what's going to be massive successes, <laughs> no. Don't, I don't. I, I make no claims in that area, but. Uh, but still. But I did really like the idea of doing the arts. So. <laughs> but I think. I don't know if that was when I was still up in Philly, and then I came up. I remember doing so many pieces of art in our new house in Atlanta, so it was you know, all around the same time. Well, you definitely have some <laughs> iconic pieces that most people, especially those that started the uh, collecting at the beginning of Magic, like myself, and got trapped into the uh, collectible crack that that was Magic. Uh, uh, got into yeah. it, you know, the, the pretty, black pretty lines. amazing and, really yeah it's, it was it i i remember seeing it for the first time and being blown away by uh how truly different it, it was at the time and yeah i remember seeing your art bits now as it's like oh <laughs> yeah it was you know it was it was that was really one of the one of the great things about that is because they didn't uh they were they were, they were making it uh, when they were picking the art and picking the artists for it, uh, about this point, Jesper had, had come on and he was the, the art director for the early years and, and made most of the big artistic decisions at that point. They kind of led him to it. Um, he was hiring people that he knew who, uh, a lot of them were art students, so they weren't coming in this as illustrators, they're coming in this as artists. Um, and so you get a very eclectic um, uh, uh, kind of art style and because there's so many cards there's a, ch- there's, there's a very good chance that somewhere in there there's going to be an art style that absolutely just speaks to you. Yeah. Uh, and I think that was that was one of the brilliant parts of, of how they did it. Um, and, wh- and one of the reasons why it, it worked, at least on, on that level, you know, is, is that um, the sheer range of that for something so totally new, they just they just made you know, all the rules. They made all the rules. <laughs> you know, like yeah. nobody knew before that what this was going to be. And it just kept rolling from that. Um, but uh, yeah, we got we we had some just absolutely wonderful uh, things, and a, just a huge amount of artistic freedom. Like you know, I, I think I I told a story about um, the 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 one piece, the Black Vice, yeah. um, which uh, that was all. That was basically all I had. It was it was this Black Vice, and it would it would it would you know uh, suck power from whoever was played on or whatever. <laughs> Excuse me, and um, I was like, "Well, yeah, I could do that, and I could put like weird runes on it and stuff." But they didn't really know what would be appropriate to put on there and stuff. And, and I was talking to Jesper, and he finally said, "You know, um, I don't know. I mean, can can you do something else with the device?" I was like, "What? I mean, put something in it?" Oh, yeah. Um, and then I was reminded of 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 weirdly enough, a Raggedy Ann and Andy. Um, which was my sister's favorite stories when we were little. So I, I heard them over and over again. And the idea that this uh, this horrible things happened to these dolls, and, and this is actually like a quote, that the ants were, were walking in and out of, out of uh, her, where her shoe button eye had been knocked off, and they were walking into her head. But she just smiled. Uh, <laughs> and <laughs> I was like, and it stuck in my head, because it's kind of a macabre image. Yeah. Um, but the idea that you know, no matter what happens to the doll, the doll doesn't care. The doll's still smiling, and I was like, "Yeah, we could, we could stick this thing right in. We put some sort of weird voodoo dolly thing in there and stick it in there, and that represents both the player and the thing." That way, had all these reasons. But end of the day, it worked. And I thought that was it. We're done with it. And the next time around, they said, "Hey, could you also do another card where you put the the doll in again?" 
<laughs> sure, why? You like? I just, I, we're starting to get a lot of really positive like feedback on that doll. <laughs> okay, and then like a year later, they're saying, "Now we need you know if you could just put the stuffy doll." And I'm like, "The what? You know, the stuffy doll, the, the little from Black Flags." So we we call it the stuffy doll. Oh, that's nice. That's okay. It's got a name now. That's <laughs> interesting. That makes it kind of worse somehow, right? <laughs> you know, it's, it's okay. You know, stick Bob um, in. It's, it's all good. Yeah, and I mean, like the highlight of I think that whole thing was uh, going to a convention, and uh, they started to really start to play the the iconic images. They had you know mugs and this and that, but they didn't do much with stuffy. And then yeah. coming through the crowd, I saw this massive orange shape. Like, and I'm sitting up there signing cars. I'm like, what the heck? And they stay here, Rich, stay here. You got to see this. And coming through the crowd was a guy dressed up in a, and he was a big guy, stuffed in a stuffy doll costume. <laughs> that's <laughs> wonderful. It was like, that's, that's like the awesome. Ghostbusters, you know? Thing <laughs> comes around the, 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 the buildings, and it's just this huge uh, marshmallow man. But in this case, it was the stuffy doll moving through the crowd. Now, that kind of brings up a, a question that I always kind of had, because generally speaking, when you get somebody that does work, whether it's for a specific game or whether it's uh, uh, individual pieces of work that are going to be on multiple cards, like on a Magic the Gathering, you can generally see a very specific style develop for that one artist. But what I noticed often with your pieces throughout the different work, I mean, several of them had themes and elements that were the same mm-hmm. and some styles, but you still varied it up. So that kind of made me wonder, well, what influences, what what do you really think your style pulls on the most? Or what is, what is your favorite type of art to do, whether it's an impressionist or what do you, maybe something you don't even normally get to work on? Well, uh, when, when part of the, part of the, the deal, uh, like I say, that kind of gives freedom creatively, I said, well, look, I don't, I don't remember why I was into this, um, but I was I was really into um, stained glass and uh, it's sort of a Alphonse Mucha, um, Art Nouveau, thick and thin lines sort of thing. And I said I'd like to combine those two for this. Work it out in, in, in thick and thin lines first, but then put in these pure, like, sort of glass colors, more like jewel colors. And so you can see that in the original first, you know, maybe the first set from, you know, from Magic. But that style is something that, that uh, I was playing around with a lot. And as the as the time passed on, I, I, was, I was, you know, moving away from that into slightly more realistic, but I was still kind of caught in a have to do it all in lines and have to do... Um, then have to do the painting, uh, you know, in kind of a, a more of a watercolor feel than in the um, oil slash acrylic uh, painting style that, uh, that has, you know, pretty mu- pretty much all the, the all the magic is now. You know, um, I think they might still get a couple of watercolor guys in there, but they're pretty they're pretty tight and more more looking more like these, you know, uh, cover paintings. Um, so that was, there's always kind of a shift as you do if you do enough of them and I, and, and I did a fair number in the, in the beginning and now they're all you know I'm one of the classic artists. <laughs> I say, well, it's like a like a Model T Ford, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, the first time I heard that, I was like, I'm not sure I like that. But I, 
knowing where it comes from and, and actually the enthusiasm of the uh, the people who like even do just classic decks they won't even do like the, the older stuff um that kind of you know that kind of enthusiasm and love for for it all is you can't feel bad about being <laughs> uh, put into that grouping because there's some great artists in that grouping but also yeah you know i mean they've, they've it's been around for you know a while now 20 25 years so Absolutely. Um, yeah, I guess you know we did the first one. It is actually more like uh, an, an older, an older automobile. So yeah, I'll take classic. So I, I have a question that I like to ask to a lot of the folks that we talk to, and it kind of goes back to a side of your influences. You mentioned some of the the pieces that you did with the Raggedy Ann and some of the glass work, and then um, I want I want to kind of go back a little bit further to even high school, college days. I always like ask like to ask the same type of question. Um, a lot of people have influences from maybe music or TV shows that they watched back when they were growing up. Like, what was your type of music? What was your influence uh, from a music standpoint as you were growing up through high school and through college? Um, I was, um, actually, weirdly enough, I just found these old cassette mixtapes that my buddy in high school made for me. He was a musician uh, who snuck in as a, he had, they had a band and they were playing in clubs uh, while he was in high school. Uh, so, you know, he would, they, they didn't card the, the, the musician. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they all, they were all, you know, kind of scruffy looking guys. So it worked okay. But, um, a lot of, uh, Elvis Costello, uh, Blondie. Um, I mean, I, I'm, you know, Billy Joel's earlier stuff and, uh, so that was that was kind of my high school, my high school years there, with a lot of weird other stuff thrown in there, James Bond themes, <laughs> stuff like that. So, um, probably there was in Philly. You grow up in, and, and everybody's in a neighborhood. There's a neighborhood for this, a neighborhood for that, and and so you kind of define yourself that that way. And our neighborhood was mostly Led Zeppelin fans. Um, and I like I like them okay, and then there was this running battle between you know well, where, where does the wrong where the stones fit into that, and, uh, and so that 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 was that was basically the music at the time as I was growing up, and then a lot of like I say he was influ- he was bringing in uh, uh, I guess uh, yeah I remember originally Blondie was 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 actually considered a punk band. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. uh, Stella was a pretty angry guy, so I didn't I didn't get too <laughs> far into the into the. Uh, the punk movement and, and, and a lot of the music with that, but those were those were some some uh, some performers and, and artists that I you know I still follow. Like I'm very excited. Costello's going to be doing a whole new album's coming out, so it's like hey, yeah, uh, absolutely. But yeah, but that um, a lot of prog rock at the time. Uh, a lot of a lot of the, uh, the artists that I they hung out with. That was that was something. So. Um, so as you are, one buddy was a huge Moody Blues fan, so that was something we, we always had to listen to Moody Blues and then uh, Renaissance and stuff like that. So, so is, is that you know Which is pretty much dating me, but yeah, nah, nah, no. <laughs> as you. As you sit in your you know your studio or wherever you're creating the art then or now, is that. You know, we, we've talked to a few other people, a lot of people like, um, you know, some folks like to have a TV kind of going the whole time and play a movie or play a, a, a TV show. Or some people just like to be somewhere where it's quiet. Like, how when you're creating these types of things, what's the environment that you like to be in? 
It's really, you know, it's changed over the years. Um, when I was when back back like a lo- when I was right before I moved to, to Atlanta and worked with White Wolf when I was working uh, in my studio doing all these freelance projects, uh, I put the TV on. Um, and in particular, I put on there was a block of cartoons in the afternoon, J.I. Uh, Joe and Transformers and Galaxy Rangers and stuff. And I would I would listen to them all. I wouldn't watch them per se. Because I'd be working, and my, but they they occupy my my sort of my conscious mind, so my unconscious and my hands could just you know communicate faster together. Uh, and so I was doing all the art and listening to all these things. So, you know, for years I'd never actually seen them. And when the, the funny thing when the Transformer movie, the first one came out, um, and the very first time you see the you know the, the guys transform and stuff, a lot of people in the audience are like, oh yeah, oh this was this was like you know older guys, <laughs> and they were all you know this is finally happening and stuff but it, I still hadn't gotten it and then the actor the voice actor who does Optimus Prime he did it in the movie and he also did it on the cartoon he said his whatever his first words were I don't even remember but it was just oh my god yeah yeah because <laughs> he's the I, one I, that I stands out yeah. more to having listened to him than to having seen it you know I don't know. Uh, but well, nowadays it, it's much more music um, because I'm, I'm I'm usually if I'm working on something I'm also answering emails back and forth and I try to not spend more than 20 minutes uh, either, either doing art or working on, on you know um, um, business stuff uh, at the computer get up walk around do a little break just so you know we're not not constantly glued to the thing um, but I'll put on like right now I have a Pandora channel um, that is uh, the theme music for Westworld yeah nice I just pop that on or it's, it's you know it's, it's uh, non-lyrical it's just just music, but uh, yeah. um, it's it's fantastic, and that usually bleeds into Game of Thrones music because of the way Pandora works. Oh, it works, yeah. Searches out yeah. all the commonalities. So okay, so you had your individual um, um, projects that you did. You uh, moved in with White Wolf, became art director. Eventually, yep. titles changed multiple times. You become a creative director. What did it really mean to be creative director? At that time, uh, is it? the, it's, it's, it's a very good question because you know, like with these things, just just like we're talking about the changes in art styles that you kind of do over the years, the uh, a company, uh, particularly a small company, really White Wolf was a startup. It would be like a computer game company startup, is what it was when I got there. And so there's a lot of craziness, a lot of wildness, um, a lot of breaking normal rules for business and stuff. And as the years go by the framework you're working in kind of forces you to start adapting and adjusting what you're doing to, to kind of fit into what works in that framework. So, you know, I think, and I think a lot of, you know, a lot of business find out, a lot of people find that, that you start off and, 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 and you're a little, a little uh, more, screw that, I'm not even going to walk in here with pants. We don't need <laughs> pants in this office. And pretty soon, you know, um, Somebody says something. Maybe the first HR person that's hired comes in and says, hey, you got to wear pants. <laughs> oh, okay. That was, that's not a true story. We actually always wore pants. It was the, the lack of shoes that drove some people crazy. Yeah, I was going to say, that's, 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 that, that can be a toxic environment of a different kind. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, it was, uh, and it was, it was, you know, it was, it was gamers. I mean, we were all gamers and then uh, trying to be creators as well. So, uh, you know. Personal hygiene was something that was always discussed. <laughs> so, as creative director, 
so how much of the how much of the vision of what right. was going to happen flowed through you? How much was a collaboration? How did that occur? And and to that effect, what was your vision at that point? How did how did you want to make your stamp on White Wolf? At the time that that, that happened, we had um, we had either already merged or were going to merge with CCP. And I had been part of the executive board uh, at White Wolf, you know, since the beginning. And uh, we were very aware that our RPGs uh, were de- the sales were declining, uh, especially in our in our major things like Vampire. And we wanted to find a way out of it that we recognized because a lot of us played on EverQuest that this, the MMOs and the, and, the, and the new technology, the new kinds of games that were out there, were just overtaking a lot of our audience. And we were losing them to that. Uh, game stores were falling up, uh, out of business, just boom, 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 left, right, and sideways. And we needed to change. We needed, we needed to. We wanted to move into doing our own uh, uh, electronic games, but it was a it was a hurdle we 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 just couldn't leap at the time. So the merger with a Icelandic MMO company, CCP, seemed like a really good way for us to find a way to get into that. And so what happened was with the focus on making that work. White Wolf Game Studio really uh, was put over here, and my team of, of uh, the, the as creative director, I was in charge of both uh, the 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 art people, the visual people, and the writers and the editors um, who made tabletop RPGs. We were kind of um, not shunted aside per se, so much as told to go and make more of the good stuff. Like, okay, that's good. But we still have a lot of challenges, one of which is we've got all these declining stores and sales and stuff. And if at the time, it looked like nobody was doing anything new. They were doing new editions of old games, mostly, and, and really nothing, nothing really just popped out. So one of the things I really want to do is I want us to come up with a new game that, um, that could show, hey, you know, this is still something that can work in this business. Um, and we got a pitch... Uh, a year or so earlier for a game about um, modern, a, modern, a modern game, but uh, where you're playing the children of gods. And uh, ultimately that was called Scion, and ultimately it became a different game than what was pitched, a very different game. But uh, the idea of playing off sort of the, the mythologies that I knew for myself and for a lot of gamers that I knew no matter what else we did, we had a common ground because we all, at one point or another, kind of studied mythologies. We, we maybe just limited to the Greek and the Norse or whatever, but we we were aware of them. We knew about them. We all had, you know, all the D and, old D and D guys had deities and demigods, and um, so I thought, yeah, this is something that appeals to uh, the gaming mindset. You know, so there's something about this that works for us. So. I think it's going to do really well. And it was really weird because we did the thing and we were putting out our normal uh, uh, solicitations and this, that, and going to the distributors and stuff. And we got kind of crappy numbers back from them, like just very anemic. And when we researched it, we found out that they were not actually reaching out to the game stores. They just had a, they had a, a, a percentage or a, uh, a formula they were using, and they would just apply it. And it didn't matter what it was. It was it's, To these guys, although these things were, were widgets, 
They were just, mm-hmm. uh, you know, entries in a ledger. And so at that gamma, we, we said, you know, we got we to gotta make, make a big change. And so the Gaming uh, Manufacturers Association uh, convention, uh, a lot of uh, retailers were there. They go there and they talk to the distributors and they talk to the game companies. And so what we did was we put an actual printed copy of the first Scion book, Scion Hero, in every one of the retailers' bags. Hmm. A full, full game book. Nice. There you go. And all of a sudden, <laughs> orders started coming into the distributors and people kept coming in at, the, at Gamma. People kept coming over to our thing. So we thought, you guys were dead. We had a distributor tell us that you were out of business. Well, we're not. <laughs> And that was kind of what I had to prove then, uh, I think, to, to that not only could we do a game, but we could do a original game, and it could sell really well, because people were hungry for it, and they weren't getting it through the system, which, you know, is a, is a long-term problem with, with, our, with our industry. So um, that and um, kind of making... new horror games for the, what was at the time called the New World of Darkness. Now we, we call it the Chronicles of Darkness. And so the very first thing that, that, that passed over that, I, that I, uh, I, I was still not down, still not the actual creative director when we were doing Promethean, which was a new one. Um, but I got a pitch for New, uh, another version of Changeling, and this one was very different than the original World of Darkness, Changeling the Dreaming. Uh, Changeling, this was called Changeling the Lost, and it just, it was just, it was, just the pitch was compelling. Like, it was one of the best pitches I'd ever read. Hmm. Um, by, the, the largest part of it was by Ethan Skemp, uh, who was uh, our longtime werewolf developer, and uh, then we had some ideas that also came into it that worked with it from Bill Bridges, who had done a similar sort of thing, but his pitch was a little was, was a little different than Ethan's, but there were parts that could be blended, and we did that. And so now we we were able to go there and, and have this incredible success for Changeling, and all of a sudden, yeah, you know, we're we're showing, hey guys, we can still do this stuff and actually do things that people are really 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 excited about. And so that was that was really sort of, sort of my goal for the for the for the creative end of the direction of where we were going was to get people excited about these things again, not just put out, you know, we could have done, um, you know, Vampire, whatever, Vampire the Requiem second, we could have done that. It had been out for a couple of years, but um, I wanted to I wanted to show some new things. Well, new can definitely be good. I have to admit, I was probably in the camp that was the grumblers uh, that mm-hmm. was not particularly pleased with the, the shift to the to the new world of darkness from the old world of darkness after having invested so much time and uh, and uh, and love into that and so I know that sometimes can drive a wedge but I went back and read through a lot of it and saw where I just not given it a, a fair shake at the time because of uh, just sheer stubbornness I think. Well, I, I mean, we, I, don't, I don't think we handled it as well as we could. I don't think we had the, the we didn't, the thing we have to, the people have to remember, and I try to say this as nicely as I can, because um, we didn't have the feedback mechanism we have now. We didn't have the internet to, the, to what we have now in any way, shape, or form. We had some news groups and message boards, and they were... Very, very much 
first, second generation of what those things would ultimately become. Um, so we were not getting a lot of, lot of, lot of info back and forth on what worked and what didn't work. And I think if if we had gone to do the whole Gehenna thing with Vampire and and then move into a, a, a rebooting of the entire franchise, which is what we did, that we would have had a lot more feedback. So we would get an idea of what were people really concerned about, and we would have a um, a lot better way to get people to understand what it was we were attempting to do. Some people thought that Vampire the Requiem was simply the next edition of Vampire the Masquerade. Yeah. And we didn't help that by continuing some of the clan names and stuff because we felt that people needed a bit of connection to it um, because, you know, if, if you, know, you, want to, you want to play these kind of kind of characters, you may want to, 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 to play these guys. Um, it, it, ultimately, we kept moving away from that. Each, each of the new editions of the, of the older world, older, uh, like, you know, Werewolf the Forsaken versus Werewolf the Apocalypse, moved us further and further away. And by the time we got to changing the Lost, here we were doing um, a very, very different thing. The themes were different uh, by and large. And so it was, it, that's when the, the New World Darkness really started to get a, uh, its own flavor and its own feeling and, and less of a, oh, you're just kind of regurgitating the, the, old, the older stuff. And, you, and since we're, we cut out the big storylines, the, the, the infamous meta plot, uh, a lot of people uh, felt like we cut their knees out from under when we, when we did it. Yeah, it was, it's, again, that was, that was, uh, before I, uh, I, I, I got the, the level of, uh, of influence and power that the creative director has. The reach. <laughs> but, uh, but so, yeah, so the, it, it was definitely something that was a, a very much a big surprise for us, the emotional impact that it had when we, when we destroyed the old world of darkness, we, we really didn't see it that way. Um, the yep. flip side of that is the only other option we could have done was to do a new edition, and that was what we originally started to discuss. And I was, I was like, yeah, we could do a new edition, and, and it always pumps the sales back up a bit because people want to get in on the new edition, and you know, we can get you know more more people involved. And there was a, a group of guys in the, the office, who, you know, were. Frankly, I think they I think they were very tired of <laughs> doing of, the same of, thing of living of, of working the the old world of darkness and and wanted to, wanted to, to stretch their, their creative wings, um, and so that's why we, you know we basically went in that direction. But either way, I mean, it, it, we wouldn't have done it if, um, if if we weren't looking for a way to rejuvenate um, people's interest in, in the world of darkness. It's one thing to say, I love I love the old world of darkness, but if you didn't if you didn't buy anything. It's like, you know, 1995. Um, <laughs> yeah. You are legitimately a huge fan, but you're not making it so we can do more stuff because yeah. you're not buying anything. They were playing out. Got to generate the new, the new folks coming in in addition to the old folks, too. So, so to kind of exactly. give Richard just a little information here, when we were talking about CCP, I'm not certain if you know who that comes. ICP? No, no. <laughs> CCP. Have you ever heard of EVE Online? Eve Online. Yeah, so every about every six months, you will see a news story about how many tens of thousands of real world dollars were lost because somebody accidentally clicked a button that started a space battle between thousands of people, and the servers shut down and couldn't handle the entire thing that it kicked off. 
anytime you see something like that, that's Eve Online because it's that that is the company that originally uh, gotcha. purchased White Wolf, and it always I, I have to admit it always mystified me just a little bit. It's like I could see why White Wolf wanted the partnership with with them. I didn't quite see where. Th- I kind of felt like maybe they didn't understand what White Wolf was. <laughs> I could be wrong there. But. Well, the, the the big interest for them was to, to be able to do uh, a World of Darkness MMO, and specifically a vampire MMO. Um, Which would have been they, awesome. They, they, they knew how to do MMOs, and um, they were they were fascinated by, you know, a lot of them were fans uh, of, of what we'd done for the, you know, the previous 10, 15 years. So they were like, you know... Um, this is a chance to, to really put something very different than Eve out as an MMO and, and be their second big game. I mean, you know, you're always looking for what's the what's next, what's the next thing, and that there they were trying to find it. It just didn't work out that way. <sighs> okay, so okay, so as we're going through this, you're you're in your position. Um, you finally have that reach now. Most of the most of the individuals that I've talked to that have created games or or gone in with something that will have a memory of either a specific title that was kind of their baby or something that they thought this this was the thing that happened that that eureka moment. Do you have any of those that that come to that come to mind that you go it's like oh I can't believe I didn't think about this and this mm-hmm. could germinate into something truly uh, special. Um, yeah, it's, 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 I mean, certainly, like I say, reading, reading through the pitches, uh, seeing how these, these, uh, these games could get started and the game lines could, you know, uh, be something that people would really be into. Um, uh, it's, it's amazingly gratifying when that comes true. Uh, and there's other times when, yeah, okay, it's okay. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah. I mean, as long as people are stopping, cause you know, it's never, Never really an issue where people go, you know what? Nobody's playing this. <laughs> no, it's a complete, you know, total dud. Mostly, it's just various, you know, various uh, levels of um, of excitement and enthusiasm and people playing it. So, um, for that sort of stuff, that that that's that's moments of satisfaction. Um, as an art director, the times when I would like kind of come up with an idea for what like a cover should look like or something. Um, maybe even sketch it out a little bit just to show them what I was talking about. And then the thing that would come in was so beautiful and way beyond like the, what I was imagining. You know, it's just, it's, it, that's an amazing feeling of going, we started this thing, but oh, this guy brought it home. This is amazing. You know? so, um, and then lately, I mean, you know, uh, with Onyx, um, there's been a fair number of very cool moments uh, when we, uh, we first started doing Pugmire. Uh, Eddie, Eddie had Eddie had pitched me this this idea of a of a world of a setting where um, as a fantasy setting where the protagonists the, the heroes are all um, dogs. They're uplifted. They they you know have they, they have hands and, and anthropomorphize. Yeah, but uh, but you know they're 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 wizards and swordsmen and, and thieves and. Uh, and it's sort of a, it's a medieval civilization that they've managed to bring up to that level, um, because what happened was they, they don't, in the dimness of their time, they know there was man because man is who, who 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 made them who they are, but they don't know what happened to man, and man is gone. 
Um, and so I was reading his pitch, and I was going, wow, you know, this is, Rikuna got to basically this creed that the Church of Man has. So there's, the, you know, they have clerics called shepherds who um, <laughs> help, the, help, help the other dogs better worship man. And what man has said to them is, be a good dog. So I'm looking through that and I'm reading that and go, this is really good. Like, like I'm, I'm good. So we were doing some play tests. We don't know. You never know. You can put all this work into it, but until people start playing it, you don't know. And we're playing this adventure at uh, Midwinter Con uh, with a bunch of people who volunteered to just kind of try it out. Um, and this one character is a fighter character. He's a bulldog, big tough dude. And he's fighting these, 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 animated suits of armor smashing them down and they are beating into him and he's smashing another one down they're beating into him and he takes the last one down he's got two hit points left and he stands there and he, he says and then I hold my halberd over my head and I yell out I am a good dog <laughs> <laughs> and Eddie and I just looked at each other and went oh. <laughs> it's the thing moment right there he's got it and everyone around the table got it and it was just it was boom and and then okay well maybe that was just an accident and then we did the kickstarter and it exploded and it was like you know this it, it, it clearly does resonate with people so <sighs> well i was i was kind of gonna ask um you mentioned a little bit before about how some of the things you were doing didn't have the feedback tools like what there right. are overabundant amount of right now, like almost too many feedback tools at this point. But with those feedback tools, the digital age that's been around for a while, what what do you think what is everything gonna be like going for or you know, five years from now? It's easy to look back and see all the stuff that we you've done and changes, but what do you think is gonna happen going forward for five years? Or, so, or more? Well, I mean, right now there's a, there's a trend um, that I think you could see, uh, particularly with D&D 5th edition, the, the new edition, uh, where uh, online gaming has become much more of a workable solution and a workable way to play uh, tabletop RPGs. And with our online gaming has come online gaming sessions that you can watch on YouTube or, 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 or over Twitch or some sort of streaming thing um, that have, I think, had far more influence on getting, um, getting D&D 5th, uh, the amazing audience that it has. It has, it has bounced back from, uh, from, from a dwindling audience to, you know, number one in the industry again. And, uh, and I think a large part of that is, is the fact that people who are younger get their entertainment differently than we did or even a couple, you know, the next generation after me who's, who still say, why can't we find these books in game stores? Um, those folk, the, the, the people who are coming into the, the hobby now, they're not, they're, that's not their, their way of dealing with stuff. They're seeing stuff on YouTube, which is where they get a lot of their information. And, and you know, online is, uh, is through the various, uh, streaming, uh, venues and uh, and that's where the the future for a lot of what we're doing is now i don't know the, where that's going to go but that's a, a huge trend of saying you know if you can see 
people having fun with this thing, you want to have fun with it too. So what if you get a couple of people together and see if you can do it? And you can do it in your neighborhood or you can do it online. So uh, it's actually, I was thinking about this the other day, it's actually like kind of the best parts of tabletop and MMOs together because as much the coolest MMO in the world can't give you the same kind of creative freedom that tabletop will do. No. But of course, tabletop doesn't have all the, usually have all the bells and whistles. You don't, you're not in a virtual environment. Uh, you're just imagining you are. Um, so playing online, you've got, you can put on music, you can put on this, you know, and everybody's hearing it, and the, the tools are getting more and more sophisticated. So I'm really curious where those things are going to go um, in the future. And that's why I think some of the, um, some of the streaming uh, game sessions are becoming much more professional actors and uh, costuming and all that sort of stuff because it's, it's, a, it's a different, uh, it, it's, a, it's an entertainment form now. It's almost it's almost like a like a like a play in a sense that is not scripted that is just randomized every time someone views the stream. Well, and 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 randomized by you by you being able to put your creativity into it, uh, which was always one of the one of the wonderful things about about tabletop RPGs. Our hobby is is fantastic that way, um, and I think it's the thing that's addicting because and also why. Um, when we did destroy the original World of Darkness, um, there was such an emotional response because people had put so much of themselves into it. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I've, I I heard way too many times to make me comfortable for me to be comfortable about how we either slap them in the face or spit them in, spit in their faces. <laughs> when we, when we I'm like, that's like what you say when somebody dumps you at the prom. Yeah. Like that's, <laughs> you know, that's, that's not when you know, a company makes a business decision and doesn't take your books from you, just moves in another direction. But there was, there was so much tied into it on an emotional level that we didn't even know about. We were not even aware. Well, I think, at least for me, part of it was, you know, the, the other games that are out there, I always enjoyed Dungeons & Dragons uh, and you know, many of the other uh, GURPS and, and, and a variety of other things. But White Wolf was one of the first that did just two major things with their games, whether it's Vampire uh, or I should say Old World of Darkness or or uh, whether it's the, the Trinity series or whatever. It uh, integrated uh, in instances where it could real history and mm-hmm. and everything together but also within that it it uh, when you're making your character it, it it always seemed less like filling in statistics although it still had that but when you overlay the whole the whole personality archetype uh, the union uh, influence there kind of telling you or helping you define who you are and so often that is you when you're looking at those archetypes what aspect of me is this Right. And, and that that I, that always resonated with me in a way that no other game did. Yeah, I mean, I always, I mean, that was one of the things that really helped me. Uh, even even when I would sit in on like a, a live action role playing session, a LARP session at a convention or something, I very first thing I looked at is you know what's the character's archetype, what's what's their nature and demeanor, mm-hmm. um, so that I would get a, a you know a snapshot of oh okay I I I can get myself into who this person is. Uh, yeah, I, I think there was. There was a bit more of the drama department mm. um, added into in, into what we were doing, um, 
you know, I, I think if you look at the influences of, like, you know, if you look at, like, you know, the original D&D company, TSR, where these were a lot of folks who were coming out of the wargaming hobby. Yeah. And, and, they had, and they had kind of created this thing where, well, what, you know, how do we show what happened at Helm's Deep? How do we show the influence of Gimli and Legolas? And isn't it wonderful that I can say Gimli and Legolas and everyone, even some, <laughs> even people you know who aren't in, in our hobby know who I'm talking about now? Like mm-hmm. that's just I, I could go to a bar and you know, hey Legolas, and somebody would look up, you know. It, it yeah. is it is a wonderful time to be uh, a, a geek. <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah, so that's uh, that's where you know, that came from. I think where it came from for us was we had been doing role playing games and. Some people were, were, were deeply in it. You know, uh, Bill Bridges is, is, uh, studies uh, Jungian uh, psychology, and um, Mark was always very interested in, uh, in a lot of uh, historical context, but also why people do what they do. And so, uh, and, and pretty much everybody was just huge readers. We were just readers. We were readers of, of, of not, you know, I mean, the, the geek stuff we were reading, you know, we all read Elric, we all read, you know, Conan. Uh, Fafnir the Great Master, all the, the classic sword and sorcery stuff, but also um, uh, comic books, and 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 then the stuff that we got into as we got older, and, and you know, uh, actual literature, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and so th- and all those influences came into it um, because we weren't trying to emulate a wargaming experience and then add some characters to it. We were trying to emulate the lives of the people we knew. And just say, what if so and so, like that guy over there in the corner, think he's a vampire? You know. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that was, the, I think that was it. And there was a couple of uh, couple of people who had studied. Uh, you know, they'd been in drama majors or whatever, and now they were working for us. So yeah, there was a you know a pretty good mix, but with a kind of an artistic sensibility. Yeah. So all right. So kind of kind of visually, uh, Gen Con. Well, okay. Let me let me rephrase this. So. As things change, you know, uh, CCP has White Wolf as part of it. You split off and take uh, rights to be able to continue making White Wolf products and completely own rights to, to do certain other things. You know, I try to keep up on all these things, and then all of a sudden... I hear, oh, White Wolf is back. It's like, oh, great. Onyx Path is, uh, you know, they, they're White Wolf again. Or, or, But no, right. no. Another, you know, Paradox Interactive buys White Wolf. How did this happen? Well, um, there was enormous effort, enormous expenditure, I, don't, I mean, of, of both uh, people and, and money and, and effort uh, to create the World of Darkness MMO, uh, it was an it was an incredibly good faith and and very you know uh, powerful effort. But ultimately, um, through a lot of you know a lot of a lot of things happened, and 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 the uh, the World of Darkness MMO was uh, was eventually uh, canceled, and CCP had to then deal with the idea that they have uh, all these these potential game lines that now. Really, they can't. They can't come back on, and they're getting. You know, they've, they've got us licensed, and we're we're sending them our, our little monthly checks and stuff. And it was, you know, it was probably the only money they were making off of the World of Darkness was coming, you know, basically from us. But it wasn't computer game money, and it wasn't enough to to, to do anything. And so they look to sell it, and they look around, and they, they they put the word out, and they figure, 
at this point to kind of to, to recoup their investment and stuff like that, they've got to get a certain amount. And mostly, as far as I recall, uh, the only people who could step up to that particular plate was the computer game companies, other ones. Hmm. And uh, and again, White Wolf and and World of Darkness and and all the stuff we did. Now we've got people who are executives all over the world who were fans. So that, when somebody would say, well, I hear, you know, the the White Wolf's for sale. What? White Wolf? You know, um, or White Wolf, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, uh, So that's kind of how that goes down. And they they go around and, you know, do some bidding wars occur, I've heard. And, um, then so they they sell the thing lock stock and barrel. That means they're free of, um, like this this basic thing that now they they sort of don't want to deal with because they failed at doing the thing they were going to do with it and they don't want to come back on it. Maybe they can't come back on it. Um, and so you know CCP wipes wipes their hands clean and um, Paradox buys it and they could go anywhere with it. They chose to basically spin off a company called White Wolf because they had the rights to the name. Why would they not? Um, and we're still licensed to do the tabletop RPGs. Um, they're, they've got a couple of people on there who want to do the next edition of, of Vampire and the rest of the World of Darkness. So um, we start, you know, talking about how can we work together to do this, that, and the other thing. And that's, that's kind of what gets us to where we are. So we're still doing everything we're doing. And in fact, we just announced at Gen Con that we're doing a supplement for their V5, you know, Vampire 5th edition uh, that is revisiting Chicago, um, the famous Chicago by Night book that I remember working on in the dim mist of time. <laughs> we're going to do the newest version of that. And it's still under license from them. And, and it's a, but what they really want to do is they want to... Um, they want to, they want this to be a mass media thing. They want this to be out uh, with uh, computer games. They want this to be out with a Netflix series. They want this to be out with makeup. They have makeup. You know, whatever people want to license, they want it to be out there so it becomes like you know, and then a, a ubiquitous kind of place. I mean, honestly, World of Darkness should really be when you think of horror should be the one of the first things you think about. You mean like Kindred of the Embrace? They want to try and revive that. Series? I don't think they're going to revive Kindred of the Embrace. Uh, I don't know that anybody needs to pull that out of torpor. Um, but they, but if, you, if you look at it, like, you know, Kindred of the Embrace was the product of its time. Yes, it was. Right? I mean, Aaron's spelling for Christ's sake, right? Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Oh, oh, you never saw that, Richard. No. It had a very, very short run. <laughs> Incredibly short run. Aaron's spelling gives me a clue to that. Yes. Yeah. It was the whole idea of, well, how can you sell? Well, you got to put a cop in there. He's discovering all these things. Yes, that's how everyone finds out about everything in the world. Well, I, I had less From problems with that. Uh, the problems I had were more with the vampires that were out in daylight. Vampires in daylight, uh, <laughs> you know, some of the some, some of the clients were mis, uh, mis, mishandled. And, uh, it's just a smidge. And, and, I mean, they had, they had some great actors and they had some yes, really they did. bad ones. Yeah. Uh, sorry, I don't mean to bring up. I have uh, I have such a, a a deep connection to several of the products. I still have old jihad cards. Uh, Sweet. Yeah, just kind of one of those things. So I have have fond memories. Uh, yeah, he pulled up a picture from from the. Uh, you're missing a lot of the visuals here. He's looking at the television show now. <laughs> it's, Every, it's got dokes in it from uh, Dexter. That's right. Mm. Oh, please believe me. I, I I have these things burned into my head. <laughs> 
But, uh, you know, and every time you mention a title right behind me with my bookcase, I'm pointing to each title that, <laughs> that right. you're mentioning. Like that, that's, that's actually legitimate. Everything, there's a title. Every time you mention a title, it's like, yep, it's right there. Yep, it's right there. Right there. It's right there. <laughs> so so I'm, I'm glad to hear that there's this kind of friendly friendly uh, relationship that uh, his. I, I know at Gen Con with the uh, whole Beckett's Diary that was released, which was fantastic, mm-hmm. by the way. Um it, um, it it was good enough that I I, I finished it uh, within just a few days, and apparently either my skin uh, oil was sufficient, uh, or maybe body heat that I, I rubbed off the silver uh, exterior yeah. inlay. So it's like, oh, okay, I must really like this book. It's now part of me. <laughs> That's right. It's part of our master plan. It's all you know. It's all uh, there's a there's an addictive substance in there. <laughs> So, <clears throat> so all right. So with fifth generation, okay. Now, now I'm going to dig into something slightly different. I know you you're with uh, as long as you're good on time here. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, mean, I will talk forever. You've got to watch that. I've uh, ruined many <laughs> podcasts that way. That's that's what we like. We like the long form. But um, so a lot of uh, you, you get different gaming personalities that go out there some love it for the creation of the character itself uh some love it for the telling of the story some like it for the the camaraderie of everybody together some uh like it just for the the mechanics you know the, there are some like me who are rules lawyers and it's their favorite thing to try and break the game first Ooh. and then and then go forward so one of the questions I was going to ask you, the only mechanics question I was going to ask, when you started into the Vampire 20th anniversary and the other 20th right. anniversaries, it was very it was very in keeping with the original in many respects, with just some minor tweaks here and there. And I always had a question that I wanted to ask about one of the specific rules tweaks that you did. Moving, I will try to answer. Uh, yeah, I know this. This may be completely out of uh, potential uh, capability of, of knowing this, but so the linguistics uh, was originally in knowledge. You know, you had the right. for those that are not familiar with this, you would have your three tree uh, trees that you could go with: uh, skills, talents, knowledges. And if you wanted to know how to speak Spanish in knowledges, you chose you know, linguistics, and you could speak a certain number of languages, depending upon which version of vampire or werewolf you were reading, it changed. But that was where all your languages came from. And when you go to the 20th anniversary, some of the some of the traits moved around a little bit. Linguistics is gone. It's now moved into being a merit. You, you choose the merit of speaking the language. I have to believe there's some sort of a story behind why that changed well i'm i'm reasonably sure it's a, it's a pretty simple thing that the one uh, either justin or eddie said hey you know what i don't i never liked that this is where this is and let's move it here because it's really more of a merit <laughs> like like that's 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 probably it that that um right. by, putting, by putting it into something like that well I mean, it's a little so it's a little awkward it's a little not quite um, not really quite how language works. No, yeah, you know, it's a simplification, I'd... and so they thought that the that the that the simplification made more sense if it was if it was a merit. Where you know, hey, if that's what you if you're if you're heavy into the languages, you can you can you can jump in there and, and buy some stuff. I just had I had this vision in my head that everybody's sitting around a circle, 
And we're going to say, okay, we got to, we got to do this 20th anniversary. There's some things we're going to change. What, you know, what is it that you think needs to change? And, you know, somebody raises their hands like, you know, I've noticed in every game of vampire or werewolf that I play, everyone speaks 15 languages. Because <laughs> <laughs> linguistics yeah. is maxed out every single time. That's what I'm saying. It really doesn't work that way. Um, you know, in, 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 in what we're trying to in what we're trying to, to represent there. So, yeah, I'm, I'm quite sure it's a, it comes as a. That's really what the 20th anniversary editions allowed us to do, and we did more of it as we did more of them. But with Vampire, when we first did it, it was mostly like don't really fix a lot of things, but tweak a bunch of things. And uh, Eddie used to say, you know, we didn't change the engine; we just polished the car. You know. Um, so that people would be, because it really wasn't designed to start a new line or anything. That it was basically just we, when we did it, it, we didn't think we were going to go back and start doing tabletop publishing again. We thought this is a really great thing to give to the vampire fans. It will make them feel really great and appreciated, and maybe they'll check out the MMO more when we finally get to publishing it, you know, putting mm-hmm. it out. So um, it was not quite. It was not quite a cynical move because we really, you know, we really fought for it. We really said, "Hey, come on, this is 20, 20, uh, 20 years. Come on, That's right. how many, how many franchises, how many amazing worlds exist for twenty years of people still being devoted to them? We, we need to, we need to, to celebrate this and celebrate our fans. Uh, it's a great way to make everybody aware because there's always rumors about, oh, they're going to change this and they hate that, and I heard they're going to wipe out the gang rule, you know, whatever." <laughs> um, and so this is a way to say, no, you know, all the stuff that you loved, we loved all of it, and here it all is jammed into this one-pack thing. But there's a few things like that. Um, the team was really small. I mean, it was, Justin was on it for, for half of the time. Uh, Justin McKilly, who was the Vampire Revised developer for, for I think, almost the entire tenure of that, I think, except for, like, maybe the first couple of months. Um, and uh, and uh, he... Uh, was working at CCP on the MMO and also said, I want to, I think we should do this thing. So people put it together in their, in their spare time when they were working on the MMO. I was in charge of a little project. Uh, Eddie Webb came in and then took over for Justin when Justin actually, <laughs> as he often does, quit the pro- quit the, the, the company and went somewhere else. Mm-hmm. He, he pops around a lot. And, um, and a bunch of other people were, were similarly writing for it. And so we did have those meetings where we sit around and, and say, okay, I want to do this, this, and this. Um, I don't remember anybody objecting to that one. I think it was pretty much, yeah, you know, we don't, we never really were comfortable with how it worked, and uh, probably, you know, either Justin or Eddie were aware of um, the idea that you know, hey, come on, yeah, if you're if you're a five hundred year old vampire and you really want to learn other languages, you could probably learn fifteen. Sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've, I have friends from from that whole time period uh, that I met because of, of the going over to Iceland and stuff, and, you know, they, they, they are fluent in at least five languages. Hmm. That's an American, is, that's that, like, what? That, I was going to say, that's five more than I speak well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what I always said, though. I said, I barely do English, guys. I don't know how you do it. Uh, yeah, but it's, uh, you know, we can't live at that speed. Too many languages. You you kind of had mentioned um, a little bit about the the past Gen Con, you know, just just recently, and announcing some stuff, and then you also mentioned Gen Con from you know a long time ago, and and being able to 
kind of build from there. Uh, we've talked to a lot of folks who go to the, the Gen Con uh, here in Indy. Is that kind of like, is that the big one for you guys? Or is that a big one for you guys? Um, it, it's certainly, I mean, you know, in terms of, of just the sheer, <laughs> sheer longevity, reputation, everything, I mean, Gen Con has been historically the tabletop RPG convention. And they've done other things. They brought in other, obviously there's a lot of board gaming, card gaming stuff there as, the, as those areas have grown. And um, they tried computer games for a long time. And I think I, I, I actually saw some new computer game uh, demos and stuff going on there uh, this year. But for a while they kind of pulled back. And um, So it's, it, it, it is, like I say, it is, it is almost more of a tradition to go to Gen Con then because it is this uh, really great, thing for us as a company um and what we we were really interested in is is kind of expanding the people we're talking to we love talking to the same people every year i'm talking i talk to people that i i'm pretty sure i talked to back in the day when gen con was in milwaukee um when we were at those gen cons mm-hmm. and, and i'm sure these i'm pretty sure these are the same folks and uh, you know we're all getting a little grayer uh, <laughs> Oddly enough, less hair than we had back then, and uh, and and so there's a little, you know, that kind of familiarity, and it's great to to, to touch base and talk to people again, and you know, it feels very very homey. Uh, but at the same time, you have conventions like uh, Pax Unplugged, we went to uh, in Philadelphia, and it's coming up again in November, uh, and um, we talked to maybe three people we knew. Uh, from from other conventions and stuff, and hundreds of people we had who who didn't even know this all existed. Uh, Pax, uh, most of their conventions, uh, I think, you know, they, they they come from the computer games, and then into other cool stuff. Hmm. So Pax Unplugged was literally saying, "No, we're not doing computer game companies here. We're doing board games and card games and, and tabletop RPGs." So. This was a whole fresh group, and there were so many people who, you know, they were in their 20s and younger who were just as enthused as we were back in the day when we were in our whatevers. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and so um, it, was, it, was, it was really a great experience. We've, and we've had another, a few other conventions where we've looked at and, and said, you know, these are, we're getting more people here. Um, even though Gen Con's attendance keeps going up, and I had hoped for a while that it was actually going to shift because I saw a lot of people bringing their kids, and I thought this is going to be great. You know, we're going to have a lot more uh, young people involved. But it seems to be the same people every year, which is a fantastic thing, and it's a, I'm sure it's a way that a convention you know really builds that loyalty. Um, it's not as great for us because we really want to expose our stuff to to more people. So uh, we always look at you know the best way to deal with all the conventions. Uh, my hardest thing is because I've been going to it. You know, since uh, I want to say probably '86, which is not as long as some of the people who have been going there, but um, it's a it's it's got a huge amount of sentimental value for me. So. Well, absolutely. That that kind of exposure is uh, is something that will help bring in some fresh blood and some new people, right? Well, I mean, that's exactly it. I mean, we all you know we we all love our various things. I mean. You know, I can still pull out my uh, my Empire of the Petal Throne box set and uh, and uh, uh, you know, Arduin Grimoire and 
you know, the original Traveler, little black books, you know, first science fiction, a game not done by by, by TSR, and it's <laughs> you know it, it, it we we have a we have a, a very long and and, and, and we, we as, as geeks and gamers we you know love our love our, our, our many books and things, um, and yeah the world the world continues to change and how people get their entertainment continues to change and. Um, I think, I think you know we we don't have to turn our backs on this stuff, but we can uh, encompass all that as well, and uh, all the things that are that are um, not. Yeah, again, like I said, not necessarily saying no, forget it, we're never doing books again. Of course, of course, we love doing books. It's one of the things Onyx Path is, is thrilled to be able to do again. Um, but also to say, you know, how do we how do we also um, introduce people to this thing that we love so well well um so okay so one of the things that i um try to do or that we try and do we try and keep things very personable and and show the show people sides of individuals that they wouldn't normally be able to see in these interviews and we try and keep it on a very positive note but i did want to ask one last question that kind of um that kind of can potentially gear and, you know, divert into a slightly more sensitive area. One of the things that I've always loved about the gaming industry is it's always felt somewhat insulated in a lot of ways from, from real life, I guess, part of it, because you know, like any, any hobby, it's uh, your attempts to try and not necessarily escape the world, but to, 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 to be part of something that will help you forget some of the day-to-day stuff. But one of the things that I saw that, you know, was mildly concerning to me, there was an article or two, a couple of people did some, uh, some posts on, uh, on uh, YouTube and a variety of things talking about some, some negative aspect uh, uh, about whether it was the, the Onyx Path or the, or the, uh, uh, the new company, uh, Paradox Interactive's White Wolf, somehow intending the product for some, you know, neo-Nazis or, or things like that, that, that they're trying to aim the, the product at people that were less than desirable. And there, were, there was a feeling of a need of response from both companies to, to, to directly respond to this. And I tried to do some research into it and try and figure it out and, of course, read into the products and try and see when I, when I you know, did read the article, see what they were saying on it. I couldn't quite figure it out. I was wondering if you could maybe explain some of what this is and what it means. Well, I, you know, the, the, I guess the first, uh, first thing about it is that the, um, the controversy started um, not with the article that the, that the the one fellow put together about the signaling to neo Nazis, but all the way back when this thing was when when uh, White Wolf um, was formed um, by uh, by Paradox when you know, they, they they made it into a, a new company with the same name of uh, that, that I was involved with, and um, they were very enthusiastic. And very much driven by a lot of the creative aspects of that we did back in the day at Old White Wolf, and bearing in mind that 
you know, we were creating these things uh, mid nineties to late nineties. Um, it was a different world in terms of what people could do. And like I was saying about the whole idea that, you know, we didn't have the internet. I remember when we put on the first inner office connection between all of our computers. Mm. We played a video game on it, but you know, yeah. uh, <laughs> eventually yeah. emails got sent back and forth. And we were like, what's this new thing? Emails. Whoa. You some, know, some doom, um, some doom bring doom. the buggy around. So <laughs> we, uh, they were, they were very much into the idea of, for a very long time, White Wolf were the bad boys of, um, of, of the gaming industry. And uh, we would go to restaurants and everybody would think we were a rock band because we all had long hair and black shirts and the whole thing. It wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't that we were trying to be that way. It was that that's who we were. Um, so Shock with value. that and with coming from a very creative um, background in Europe, um, these, these are people who have put on you know, some, some award-winning uh, live-action role-playing events. Um, oh, what are they called? Not alternative reality. They're called ARGs, but it's um, it's basically oh. like a, an extended puzzle box, uh, except it's all over the all over the world, all over the country, or whatever. And, and, and you know, you, they're sort of like they've they've been condensed down to these these mystery rooms that now exist, right? Mm-hmm. Escape mm-hmm. rooms. So, um, they the dialogue that they started with the community didn't start well because they were so enthused they just kind of jumped in there and started saying we're going to do this we're going to do this we're going to do this without thinking how is this going to affect the existing audience how is this going to affect people who are just reading this Um, and so there was a lot there's a pretty much every step along the way there was a significant amount of difficult public relations stuff that was going on Um, funny thing I was rereading some news group comments about stuff we had done based on, on uh, people's comments uh, in the industry. And a lot of it was very similar. Um, <laughs> sort of talking about who do they think they are. Some, you know, they're so, these, these, they're, they're so arrogant, this sort of stuff. So it, 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 they, I, you know, I understand where they were coming from. And we were, we were at Onyx Pass attempting to say, hey guys, you may want to do this. Um, but you know, Different company, and they, they, they ultimately they own the uh, the products, the projects, and uh, and the IPs, the intellectual properties like Vampire and World of Darkness and stuff. And we're just a licensee, so we can suggest, but we can't make them. And yeah. So that kind of led to there's a series of events that uh, that people thought uh, they were having some issues with these guys with, and it led to this this um, long and uh, dubiously researched. I'm sorry, fellow, for calling it like I've seen it, but it was, it was, <laughs> there's a lot of conclusions made. I, I, I likened it to, you know, I go out and I look at the stars and I can say, hey, that kind of looks like a bear there a little bit. And somebody else will walk by and go, no, that's a scorpion. What are you talking about? Yeah. Um, he was looking at all the things that occurred and drawing a conclusion based on those things that wasn't right. Um, and the conclusion was that somehow these folks wanted to court these neo-Nazis. And so when that all hit and people were very upset by, by that, and like you said, you were looking into it, you were trying to find out well, what's, what's behind this? What is, how, does, yeah. how does this actually make sense? A lot of people didn't do that before they responded. 
Yeah. Well, I can surprise the internet, right? Yeah, you have to have an immediate reaction no matter what. Yeah, and so there was a lot of, lot of uproar and such. And uh, so I had to, I don't know if you saw my response because it was, you know, uh, in my, in my, on my Monday blog, because uh, I do a weekly, uh, basically, it's, it's, it's like a snapshot of where we are at Onyx Path mm-hmm. each week. And, uh, and in that one, I said, I can't believe I have to do this, but <laughs> Nazis are bad. <laughs> <laughs> if you, if you are a self-identified Nazi, we don't want you buying our stuff. We don't want you involved with our stuff. Well, we want you in our hobby. Okay. Yeah. That's, I don't know. I don't know why we have to say this, but we are. And then, um, uh, but, but if you read the article, you see that he, he really attempted to kind of say, but Onyx Path isn't like this, which was nice. But again, well, we got kind of dragged into it because our name was mentioned in it and people didn't read. Yeah. Well, and he, he tried to take issue with a couple of specific hiring choices that, uh, that were made right. too. And I, I, again, in looking into it, I, I had a hard time finding where these connections were coming from. And, uh, sometimes, uh, I was like, well, maybe, maybe what it is, I can't find it because I'm not on the inside of the industry. The people that are actually involved will know what's actually going on. And I thought about it more, think, but it's like, maybe not. No. Yeah. I think, I think, uh, you know, also what, like you were saying is, that, I mean, a lot of us, a lot of us are involved in all this because it's a way to express stuff that you can't do in your normal everyday life. Um, but there's also people to whom internet wars are their everyday ordinary life. Yeah. And they will, and, and, and they are in the, they're in the creative end of things and they are smashing against each other and fighting these feuds out. And unfortunately, you know, uh, if you don't do uh, uh, a lot of research on, on, uh, people, you discover that in fact they've you know they've staked a, a hill that they're willing to kill to, to hold on the internet, and uh, and they will you know slash and burn anything that uh, that looks like they will get more people to check them out on the internet. So yeah. it, it really it's a, it's it's one of the un, unfortunate things. I think um, Richard, I think you'd mentioned you know all that noise now that we have. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's at a huge challenge. It's a challenge particularly because I'm, I'm working with, you know, very creative, uh, people who, writers and artists and, 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 you know, everything who, um, are involved with stuff on the internet, do put themselves out there, do, you know, and, uh, and social media and are getting all of this constantly. Um, uh, and, and we, have, we even say to our guys, if you need to take a month and just don't go on any of our social media, don't go on any of your social media either, just, you know, get it out of your system because it becomes just this noise and it can be very nasty noise. And um, I know for myself, and I think this is true for, for creative people in general, uh, in order to create, you have to have input. Right, like you know, we read. You know, you're asking, "How what were your influences as an artist?" Well, in order to have those influences, I had to seek these things out. I had to read comic books and fall in love with John Buscema's uh, uh, artwork in Conan, and, and uh, uh, Gene Cohen's artwork in, in Tomb of Dracula and stuff like that, and kind of start defining what do I like, what don't I like from this stuff. Um, that's kind of the, the the creative and artistic process, and. So when you are getting all this, you don't have a filter because you're trying to grab all this stuff and, and let it 
bubble around inside of your head and, and, and come out through your work, uh, it can be very debilitating for, for people who, you know, uh, who, are, who are in that zone. A lot harder to turn it off. Um, oh, yeah. Because you're always absorbing. You're always seeing something. Like, oh, like I, I was in an outback um, enjoying their bonzer steaks and <laughs> there they had a thing on the wall that was like kind of an uh, a big shield of of uh, i don't know what, what one of the provinces or something but it was very cool and it was all done kind of a little 3d thing and i actually liked the feel of how it looked and i took some pictures of it and then when we did the pins for pugmire which has little they have little symbols for the various classes uh i used kind of the same way that the light hit it and stuff like that to, to kind of give it a little 3d effect you, you never know where the influence is going to come from that's what i'm saying so, yeah so, uh, uh, you're getting I, a steady I, I thought diet you were going to say crazy. somebody recognized that and was uh was offended like this was my family crest <laughs> yeah. yeah well i mean i didn't i didn't use the same symbolism <laughs> but i used the 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 way the light hit it and kind of the way there was like a a, a gold edge around parts of it and stuff like that so um, in any event, it, it, it really it, it, it's a very difficult thing. We're constantly dealing with it and constantly telling our folks, you know, step back from the social media, concentrate on on the on the good stuff that you're doing. Um, don't worry about the bad stuff because there's always somebody on there who's got a, 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 an opinion. Let's mm-hmm. just put it that way. Yeah. Well, ultimately, uh, ultimately, and ultimately, White Wolf did actually step up and they did very similar thing to what I had done with just my blog, but they did an AMA uh, on video. Um, and they basically said, you know, same thing that I said, which is, you know, Nazis get the hell out of here. We're not, that's not who we're interested in for our audience and, uh, let it go. And again, and you, so you do something like that. Most reasonable people are going to go, okay, well, they stepped up. I don't even know that they had to do it, but they did. And so cool. They've made their statement. And now we know. And then you still got people going, oh, that wasn't enough. Or that's, um, they're just they're just uh, saying that now, but you know they they, they clearly already did it. And, you know, so you can't win. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's always going to be the conspiracies. Yep, especially especially if you're a world darkness fan, everything. Mm. That's that's exactly where I was going with that. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, I we have we have uh, definitely enjoyed talking about all this, and I'm sure I, of my list of questions, we covered yeah, maybe half of it. So <laughs> maybe. <laughs> Maybe at some point I would love to have you on again, but I want to thank you for taking the time oh, my pleasure. Uh, to, to talk with us today. Um, as always, you know, uh, if you want to find out more about uh, uh, Rich Thomas and uh, the work that his uh, wonderful group of individuals uh, puts out all the time, it's uh, theonyxpath.com. At, and uh, uh, it, we just, uh, like I said, it was, it was just wonderful talking to you. Well, let me, if, if I may, just take another minute of just to say, because I know I'm going to hear from some of my folks when they listen to this um, who are working on new projects and new things that we're doing and all the Ooh. fun stuff that isn't, you know, uh, 20 years of, of, of stuff uh, from the world of darkness, <laughs> uh, that that if uh, if you come to www.theonyxpath.com, um, we have... Um, pages for all of the game worlds that we're working on. We have the World of Darkness. We have the Chronicles of Darkness. We have Exalted, uh, which is the that, that's our, our trilogy of White Wolf IPs that we are working under under license from, from White Wolf. Um, we also have uh, the Trinity Continuum, which is uh, our, our 
science fiction game Trinity Continuum Aeon and uh, the superhero near modern game Trinity Continuum Aberrant and also uh, ultimately coming with our Pope game Trinity Continuum Adventure and these are all old games that we worked on back in the day that, that I was able to uh, to buy outright from uh, CCP and, uh, and and now we're doing new editions of and of course Scion um, which is getting closer and closer to getting released at least to our backers from our, our very successful Kickstarter for that. Um, Pugmire, Monarchies of Mal, uh, Cavaliers of Mars, they came from beneath the sea, and uh, and, a, and our latest one actually is a Kickstarter that's going on right now, and I think probably, unless, are you guys going to get this up in the next week? Probably not quite, it's going to be a uh, couple weeks. weeks. Yeah. Well, it's Dystopia Rising Evolution, it's uh, a post-apocalyptic uh, game that we have uh, uh, a license from uh, folks who did this as a live-action role-playing game for many years, and they're still doing it, actually. It's still really successful around the world. Um, post-apocalyptic, zombies, and, uh, and it has some really interesting twists to it that I think uh, make for some great role-playing. So, um, And a bunch of other stuff that we'll be announcing, again, uh, on uh, com. That's fantastic. Awesome. And uh, as always, whenever you want to uh, follow us, you know, we are at uh, our standard website, uh, everybodylovespudding.com, or you can follow us uh, on Facebook or Twitter at, oh, I uh, put him on the spot. He doesn't remember. Well, we have so much content on there. <laughs> or you can look for us at uh, The Pudding Guys. That's right. Or uh, The Real Pudding Guys. Uh, on Facebook. On Facebook, yeah. <laughs> the real pretty yeah. There's the fake ones. Uh, <laughs> there are, yeah. <laughs> well, apparently there are people that make food. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> they, they were mm. pre-existent. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, uh, and uh, we will be, uh, we'll be ecstatic to talk to uh, you again in the future, and hopefully you will uh, yeah. have continued success, sir. Well, thank you so much, and, and may, I, you know, I would love to talk to you guys again. Just uh, give me a yell when you, when your schedule opens up, and uh, we can actually talk about porting, which you know is why I came on here. Right? Mm. We talk about all these damn vampires. Oh, I feel terrible about that. I mean, we could we could talk about rice porting. We could talk about you know blood pudding, uh, butterscotch. Uh, nah. <laughs> <laughs> we could talk about flan. I don't care. It, it, it's all good. It's all good. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Until tonight. Until next time. Thank okay. you.